I think that there are ways to say, look, you cannot go out. You can reset your roster. That's fine. You, there's a year that you, you need to wait one year uh, to get some guys back to go and compete again. Fine. But you can't do it for three, four, five years. It's not fair to your fans. Cubs outfielder Ian Happ visiting with Bernstein and Rahimi here on The Score talking about one of the major sticking points for the players. They want to see teams be a lot more competitive and actually go out there and try to win every single season. Zach Sadman with you until 9 o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The Score broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studios brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. You're a big part of the show as well at 312-644-6767. The Score listener line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter and beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL.com. What is baseball going to look like when baseball returns? Figured who better to ask than one of the most dialed in people when it comes to the game. Score Baseball Insider Bruce Levine, who joins us now on the Score Hotline, presented by Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And Bruce, I'm being genuine. I know you talk to a lot of people. What do you think overall when, when the game returns? What's going to be different? Well, I don't, I don't think very much. It's just a separation of um, revenues and uh, how they want to divide it up. The, you know, the owners are very happy with where it's at right now. They've uh, basically <clears throat> won the last two uh, negotiations over the last 10 years. And uh, in their mind, uh, other than wanting expanded playoffs and maybe uh, DH, they're, they're ready to, they're ready to go. But uh the revenue streams are not uh, very sufficient in the minds of the uh, the players right now. They'd like to be able to get to free agency and arbitration sooner. They'd like a minimum uh, that's much higher for entry-level players. Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I don't see any major deal breakers here other than the fact that the players are going to have to realize at some point, Zach, they're not going to win back. 10 years of negotiations in one negotiation. It's, it's just not going to happen. And the, uh, the game is too healthy right now. There's too many revenue streams and new revenue streams down the line uh, to get at to, uh, you, know, you know, really have a work stoppage. It just doesn't, uh, it, it does, I won't say it makes sense because, you know, labor negotiations are all about uh, uh, dividing up the money that the, the fans throw at the game. So uh, it's, it's a lot of money. It's billions and millions, and it's, it's important to get it right. But, uh, you know, I, I, just, I just don't see where losing games, even in spring training, makes any sense for either side coming off of a, uh, a pandemic and then a uh, season where you only had a half of uh, a year where fans were in the stands uh, in full amounts it's just like I don't I don't know how how they can miss games without it impacting uh, the game and, and fans taking exception to it Bruce you know over the years that nothing usually gets done until there's the threat of uh, missing games via a debt and money right yeah. so uh, do you think that because of that there may be uh, a delay in the start of the season, maybe not a long one, because as you mentioned, there's a lot of money at stake. The game, from a financial standpoint, is healthy. The, the disagreement is in how to divide up that money. 
do you think that the season will be delayed slightly because of that? It could, Zach. I mean, uh, there's there's no predicting uh, how stubborn both sides are going to be. They they both seem dug in, and um, the intel on, on from people I've talked to, and, and not too many people will talk to you about where this is at. But uh, the people I've been able to talk to tell me there won't be there won't be any conversations again until mid January, and, and we're we're you know right at the midway point of December. That's a month from now. And there might not be a deal done until early February. So, uh, you know, then you're very close to, uh, to spring training starting, uh, you know, a few days after that. Normally, spring training these days starts around the, the 12th or 13th with uh, opening day on uh, April 1st. So full six weeks of spring training. And, you know, we know because of, of COVID and um, just the way uh, pitchers, uh, reacted or didn't react to the last year and a half. It's important for full spring training, not only for the uh, the players and the owners, but for fans to be able to get back to that uh, normalcy of spring training and enjoying their game, enjoying the game, and and kind of summing up and getting an idea of what their teams are going to look like. I mean, you can't ignore the fact that uh, you know fans want to be able to you know, look at their team before the season starts and start thinking about uh, how it's going to look. Are they going to be competitive? What dates do they want to pick out uh, on the schedule to go out and watch uh, certain teams that are going to be in town? Uh, what type of packages they want to get, if a mini package or uh, get together with a group and buy season's tickets? Uh, you just you just can't ignore the fan. It's It's just, it's a big mistake to make in this day and age. There's there's just uh, so much money there. The game is still very healthy, as we saw by the flurry of, you know, multi-million dollar signings and 10-year contracts and $40 million contracts to uh, one pitcher, $40 million a year. Uh, it's just uh, th- there's no standing there and telling people that there's not enough money in the game. There's, there's plenty of money. It's just about how it's distributed. Score Baseball Insider Bruce Levine is with us. So when it comes to the actual game, before we get to both the Cubs and the Sox, you mentioned expanded playoffs is something the owners want. Pace of play is something Commissioner Rob Manfred continues to talk about. Is there any way that the game gets tweaked from that standpoint outside of the DH where the game has a little bit more of a better flow, which ultimately will help the long-term health of baseball. Two things, Zach, uh, from what I've been talking to people. 20-second clock, mandatory 20 seconds to deliver a baseball for a pitcher, and uh, infielders staying on their side of the infield. In other words, uh, two on each side. Uh, Maybe even uh, having to stay on the dirt, uh, on both sides of the infield. I think both of those things will help. Number one, pace of game, time of game, and uh, more run production in the game. I think just, just those two things alone, I think, would have a, a huge impact on, um, on, on players starting to hit five, seven, eight points higher and, uh, you know, be more willing to, uh, to uh, hit into the natural positions of pull where over the last 
few years, they've been trying to hit the ball over uh, the defenses that have been shifting. Now they, they could be more comfortable to, to hit into their natural pull zone and, and get base hits out of it. I think all of that would, uh, just a few of those moves alone, I think would, would change things dramatically, Zach. Now you're an old school guy, but you like, you would like that stuff added to the game. Oh, oh yeah, it has to be. I mean, you know, the games are really boring. Uh, home runs, strikeouts, walks, that's it. I mean, we have to encourage players in college, high school, college, and developing in the minor leagues to, to just hit the ball again. Hit it, hit it to the, the natural positions that, uh, you know, are there. Not trying to hit the ball over, not to have a, a huge arc uh, and a launch angle to try to hit balls over shifts, but to just hit, hit the ball hard where you normally do and, and get a... Uh, uh, the benefit of a base hit out of it. I, I'm I'm all for that, and I think we're going to see a better brand of baseball if we do it. But in, in the meantime, you know, we've just been training. You know, I, I look at Ian Happ as one of those guys. I mean, you know, at the end of the year, you look up his numbers, and they're 25 and 70, and he, you know, he was one of the better hitters in the game the last month of the year. But it took him four, four, four and a half months himself. Uh, just trying to hit balls over the shift. He was, you know, you, you saw all the games, Zach. You know, he was hitting ground balls most of the time and striking out and just was totally lost. And then all of a sudden, the last month and a half of the season, he's one of the better hitters in baseball. So uh, they pay you for your your end-of-the-year money. A uh, guy like Ian Happ can just, you know, relax and just hit line drives, not worry about hitting 25 home runs. Uh, and uh, just go out there and play baseball. I think guys like him and the game itself would be benefited by the idea that they're they're just not shifting on you and that you you don't have to hit over a shift any longer. Just that relaxation of baseball players' minds as to uh, just hit the ball hard somewhere and you're going to get a, a payoff. I think that that's a really important thing to uh, sell going down the going down the line. Talking baseball with Score Baseball Insider Bruce Levine. Bruce, let's get to the fun stuff. When this lockout uh, eventually ends and they do agree to a deal, there is going to be a flurry of activity with certain teams around Major League Baseball. The Cubs and Sox, when you look at what's incomplete based on the moves that have or have not happened so far, what stands out to you about each team? Well, I think both teams need uh, Carlos Rodan for a short period of time. Convincing Carlos Rodan and his agent, Scott Boris, to, to give them to uh, the Cubs or White Sox for a short period of time, that would be very, uh, it's going to be difficult. Uh, somebody might give him a longer-term deal because of the uh, fact that he's a left-hander with still a power arm at age 28. But um, Carlos has been hurt every year of his career. And uh, this year... He had a slow roll at the end where he wasn't really very effective or available uh, the last month of the season. So that said, he really wasn't injured. He was protecting against injury after going from six innings in 2020 to 132 last year. I think, I think really he would be a steal for the White Sox or the Cubs on a one-year deal with an option or, you know, incentives that, uh, you know, kick in to, to give you a one or two year uh, another option. I think he was, in my mind, maybe the best pitcher in the American League for the first three and a half, four months of the season. 
that would be an impactful guy for either team. So I'm, I'm rooting for Rodon ending up with one, either the Cubs or the White Sox. As far as the Cubs go, I'm rooting for an impactful shortstop like Correa uh, to really sell everybody on the fact that the Cubs aren't just trying to compete in uh, – and, and maybe win a division, but that their their rebuild can be a lot faster with impactful, dominant players. And I think Correa at, at age 27 would be one guy that um, I, w- I would be interested in, in giving a long-term deal to. I don't, Zach, I don't like eight or nine or 10-year deals for anybody. I mean, projecting health and productivity from somebody for that period of time is insanity. And they don't work out. They never do. Okay. So in, in that case, but when you talk about Correa at age 27 and just the way he plays the game, uh, that that would give the Cubs so much credibility on and off the field. I mean, on the field, you know, a dominant shortstop to build your your new contending championship team around. A dominant shortstop for the fan base to to feel happy about and feel like. The Cubs are seriously wanting to win again right away. I think that's the type of message that uh, they could send out there, and, and I wouldn't be surprised uh, from what I understand that they've talked a lot about it. Very interesting stuff, and that would be a way of uh, reigniting uh, the the fan base after what transpired at the trading deadline last summer. On the way out, Bruce, I, I'd be remiss if, if I didn't ask you for your memories of Roland Heeman, who was an important mm-hmm. baseball executive, including here for the White Sox for many years. He passed away over the weekend at the age of 92, but spent 70 years in the game, three executive of the year awards, and I know that you knew him very well. Uh, Roland was one of the special people you meet in life, whether it's in baseball or any walk of life. He, he just cared so much about people, Zach. Uh, Every year at the winter meetings for, uh, gosh, 30 years that I can remember, Roland would be in the main lobby of the winter meetings. And, uh, uh, you know, there's a major and minor league part to the to the uh, winter meetings. The minor league part is where young people uh, go straight out of college and they interview with minor league teams for jobs in every walk of baseball life, whether it's media relations, whether it's radio and TV jobs, whether it's marketing, whether it's sales, uh, they go there. And Roland Heeman would be at the center of all of that in the middle of the winter meetings, talking to young people for hours for four days in a row, giving his his phone number out to complete strangers, young people who didn't know anybody or anyone in the game that were just trying to get a head start. And Roland Heeman would uh, meet these people and he would know their name right away and would give them his phone number long before uh, emails were around or texting was around. And he would he would take their calls and help them with uh, the idea of uh, being a source for them to come to and talk to, as well as somebody that they could use as um, a reference on a job. That was the essence of Roland Heeman as a, as a person. As a baseball man, he was a terrific baseball man. He helped save baseball on the south side of Chicago by, uh, you know, building up a team that was on its way to Seattle at the end of the 1960s because of failure in 1970 and a 
106 losses. Um, he helped build, build that team up within a, two years to the 1972 team where Dick Allen was the MVP, and they were the talk of the town, even when the Cubs had great dynamic teams on the north side. The White Sox were a sensation in 72, 3, and 4, uh, with Dick Allen as a, a big part of it. So Roland Heeman was a, was a was a very important Chicago baseball executive, very important all over in Milwaukee and Baltimore. Uh, just a, a huge loss in one way, uh, Zach, but I, I choose at 92 to see Roland leaving as a, a celebration of one of the best baseball people and best people I've ever met. Uh, just a celebration of his life on as both a, a baseball man and a, a terrific person. Well said. Bruce, thank you so much for sharing your memories. Zach, take care. Have a good holiday season to everybody out there, and uh, we'll be talking. Likewise. Bruce Levine, the Score Baseball Insider. We always feel a little smarter on the show after spending some time talking with Bruce Levine. Let's take a break. When we come back, football. What's the latest from Hallis Hall? We'll find out next. Zach Zabin with you until 9 o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. Here's the punt. Herquez sends it in the air. Far side of the field, Jakeem Grant retrieves at the two, backs him up. He's in big trouble at the five. Reverses course, gets blockers at the 10, to the 15, 20, 25, 30. Down the sidelines, and away he goes. 30, 20, 15, 10. End zone, touchdown Bears. Wow. Jakeem Grant was in deep trouble, folks. Caught the edge. Some great blocks, including one of a Horquez and also another one that springed him free. And Jakeem Grant goes a long way. 97 yards for the punt return touchdown. And I believe, unless one happened today, that's the first one in the NFL this season. An amazing play and an amazing call. Jakeem the Dream helping Jeff Joniak sound like the award-winning announcer that he is. And I don't know if you guys had an opportunity to see this. I don't know how many of, of you listening right now have a TikTok account. Yeah, TikTok. I do. I'm not going to share it with you on the air. But there's this great video that the Bears took and put on their TikTok account of the broadcast booth as... Joniak is making the call watching this transpire before him because, again, the play looked like it was dead. And then all of a sudden, bam, uh, a couple of moves here and the speed, and it ends up being from what looked like a disaster to a touchdown. And there's footage of the entire booth. So you have Joniak, who is, he broadcasts the way he sounds. There are a lot of arms, legs moving around. Uh, there's a lot of movement. Then there's Tom Thayer, who sits right next to Jeff to his left. To his right, he's got the best stat man in the business, Doug Coletti. Behind them is the engineer, Paul Zarang, who helps them blast through the speakers of your radio. But the best part of the video, if, if you can peel away from Joniak for a split second with the arms in the air and the fist pumping and the binoculars going one way and just the, 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 the jubilation in the booth, to the booth next door to their left at Lambeau Field was national radio. And if you look through the glass, you can see Mike Golick. Yeah, that Mike Golick, who was doing color on the national radio broadcast. Well, 
he is peering over to his right, and he's looking at Joniak moving up, down, dancing for joy, arms flailing in the air. And the look on Golik's face, and it, it's kind of part stunned, part uh, I'm enjoying this, and, and part an appreciation for how much the Bears broadcast crew is putting into this. It's very funny. So if you get a chance to watch this video on TikTok, I implore you to do so. Zach Zageman here until 9 o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, there hasn't... There haven't been a lot of positive things to talk about with the Bears over the last week. Jakeem Grant has been one of those positives. Joining us now on the Score Hotline is 670thescore.com Bears reporter Chris Emma. And the Score Hotline is presented by Circle Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. And Chris, I know you know what I'm talking about. In ter- You're a TikTok guy. So I know you saw video footage of what the Bears booth looked like during that Grant play. You know, Zach, my favorite part about it, and you covered it well, was that Gold was probably looking over toward our guy Joniak when Jakeem Graham was getting like the 30 or 20-yard line. Like at some point, Mike Golick, who's seen a lot of football in his day, just stopped watching that play and just looked right at Joniak because he was enthralled by the moment. Uh, it's an incredible video. And it, all, all joking aside, you know, Jeff Joniak put such a passion and joy into these broadcasts. And it was a cool moment. It's a great video. If you're a Bears fan, you got to seek that one out. And that's why you, just for him and Tom, you want to see some excitement, some sizzle here down the stretch as whatever the Bears can muster. And it's going to be tough because today, some serious news again from Hallis Hall. Larry Borum, who has played well on the right side of the offensive line, the latest player to go on the COVID-19 list. So by my count, what, Mario Edwards Jr., Eddie Goldman, Artie Burns, Sam Kamara, and now... Uh, you've got Borum, Elijah Wilkinson was on that list uh, way before this latest surge started. How does that impact the Bears on the field come Monday night against the Vikings? Yeah, uh, fairly from an offensive line standpoint with Borum, it, it potentially takes away the options they were seeking. And Matt Nagy alluded to it this week. Obviously, Jason Peters' health, of course, as well in terms of the ankle injury and determining how long he's going to be out. Uh, I think he was probably out Monday regardless. And Matt Nagy left open the possibility of potentially flipping Borum and rookie Tevin Jenkins, where Larry Borum would move from the right side to the left side. Jenkins can move from left to right. And the Bears, with these four games left in the season, can kind of explore what's their best fit for what they hope is their tackle combination of many years to come. So uh, that opportunity might be gone. Well, you know, we'll see if Larry Borum is able to be cleared by next Monday. Um, but in the meantime, the Bears have to go to another contingency plan, and I don't really know at the moment what it's going to be at right tackle. It, it's probably keeping Tevin Jenkins at left tackle, assuming Jason Peters is out, but they have to sort through this a little bit. What are you looking to see from Justin Fields, both in the way the Bears use him and from Fields himself? Because I, I think you'd agree we've seen flashes of, of the special talent but in order to win, you have to be consistent. You have to do the routine stuff well. And I don't necessarily believe we've seen that. And you need to see that in order to take the next step. Yeah, yeah, you said that well. And the thing I want to see now with Justin Fields is the internal clock and the command of what he does. Because you mentioned it, he's got tremendous talents. We've seen the arm strength. We've seen some of those wow throws. And we know he can run and he can make plays with his feet. 
Now it's about combining it through reps and understanding read one. Is that guy open? No. Okay, where's my second read? Is he open? No. Okay, now it's time to run. Uh, it's combining the knowledge and understanding of what a coverage is presenting, what your receivers are showing in terms of options, and then knowing if it's not there, that's when I tuck and try to make a play. Uh, you don't want to see him do too much. You don't want to see him get one read and then quickly scramble and try to make a play and just start improvising. Uh, he's got that ability to change a play with his feet, but he can also do it with that arm as well and understanding, okay, if I can get outside the pocket, my first and second reads weren't there, but maybe try to draw a receiver away from the safety and get him open in space. It's all a process, and it's something that we've seen Justin Fields steadily improve with is understanding the command in that internal clock. So uh, four games left in the season, and these are valuable reps. I understand what the Bears' record is, the frustration, and the fact that a lot of fans probably don't want to watch some of these games. But for Justin Fields, for everybody within this offense, especially some of these young guys in this core, these are really important games and opportunities. I feel like, and we're talking with Chris Emma, who covers the Bears for 670thescore.com, I feel like people watch the games. I feel like they, they watch the games. If, if you love the Bears, and if, if you've lived here all your life, you love the Bears, you love football, and you're curious to see how this quarterback is going to take that next step, and even if it was somebody else at quarterback, you'd still be watching. Maybe you, you won't be at Soldier Field, but... The Bears are still the Bears. It's still an event, and and I think people will be watching. What I'm curious about is when you look defensively, it's almost as though this has been a season where guys you thought were done as players have reemerged to make plays and, and add to their NFL careers. Robert Quinn is one. Alec Ogletree is another. Bruce Irvin came out of nowhere. We didn't expect to see that. Why have these guys been able to find what was missing this season? Yeah, I guess I'll focus here on Robert Quinn in particular. It was 14 sacks, second most in a very accomplished career. I appreciate his mindset, and he's just a very easygoing guy. and He's not really gotten too deep into some of the reasons why he's been successful, but you've seen him kind of reinvent himself and understanding what he needs to do to beat a tackle off the edge and get to the quarterback. And he's having just an outstanding season that, frankly, I didn't see this coming. I don't think anybody really saw this coming. Uh, but you've seen him kind of understand he can't just bull rush right through somebody. He's got to be finesse. He's got to use his hands. He's got that shot move that's really been throwing off uh, opposing protection schemes and uh, he's just been continuing to find a way to get home. Uh, you saw the joy on Sunday night as he did the discount double check for Aaron Rodgers after recording that sack. He's having fun. Uh, it, last season was not fun for him. He made no excuses. Uh, and I respect the way that he handled kind of coming off last season. He's having fun. And he's enjoying himself. And he's playing at a very high level. You mentioned some of these other guys. Al Gogletree who stepped in and played very well at that inside linebacker position. Uh, Got to give him a lot of credit. It's a tough spot. Uh, stepping in for Danny Trevathan, and he's manned that position very well. Been a nice compliment for Roquan Smith, who, of course, was having a sensational year at his respective spot. So uh, you've got a couple veterans who have stepped up there on the defensive line or defensive front as a whole. Chris, you've read a lot of stuff that's being said about the direction the Bears need to go in during the offseason, and no one has been shy about pointing out the different problems, but we haven't heard many solutions. What do you think 
needs to happen in order to flip this thing around. Well, yeah, and you've covered it really well. I've been listening to your show throughout it, and I wrote about it today on our 670thescore.com about some of the things you've covered and just welcoming in different perspectives if you're George McCaskey because he took over as chairman in the summer of 2011, fresh off a run through the playoffs for the Bears, and the Bears have not won a playoff game since. They've been to the postseason twice. They've had the same results because they've really mostly relied on the same people. There have been different general managers and different scouts coming in and out throughout the door, but ultimately it comes down to what George McCaskey can do and who he relies on. The Bears really need to step, take a step back, uh, rethink this front office, and realign with the right people. This is what I wrote about today. And it, it starts with bringing in people, these alumni that we talked about. You've covered it really well, and you heard from one of the most prominent and respected alumni I think there is out there in Olin Cruz, who's not just a, a terrific football player in his day, but he's an incredible analyst. And what he has done in terms of understanding the modern game and studying film like he did when he was a player, he's one of the most knowledgeable people out there. Uh, if I'm George McCaskey, I'm calling Olin Cruz, and I'm calling some of these prominent voices that we hear in our media world, guys like Lance Briggs and Alex Brown and Patrick Manley, Jason McKee, who was on with you as well earlier. There are so many sharp perspectives of former players and guys who know this game and this organization very well, who I think can really influence the decisions going forward. And then once you get those perspectives and you got guys who you can align with properly, then you start thinking, okay, well, how are we going to restructure this front office? Do we need to have that director of football, president of football operations? What happens with Ryan Pace? Uh, who's your next head coach? You've seen different examples of it, what the Lions did with Chris Spielman, uh, the Dolphins with Dan Marino, who's been in that front office since 2014. There's a lot of examples of teams that have done this the right way. That's where George McCaskey needs to start. Which is the team that you look at and say, if the Bears did it this way, they put themselves on the right track to fixing the problem? Yeah, I don't know if there's a particular model in terms of front office, but Kevin Fishbane, our buddy and our colleague with The Athletic, covered it really well. you, you got to follow the models of these successful organizations. Understand... To use a cringeworthy term here in Chicago, the wise behind it. Uh, he mentioned the Steelers, the Ravens, teams like that, the Patriots, of course. You have to look deep into this. Uh, you can't just simply try to copy it from afar and hope it works out. You need to bring in the right people within uh, your organization and understand what's going to work. Uh, so, like I said, I think it starts by kind of trusting uh, the right people and realigning yourself with your George McCaskey with the guys who are going to help influence you properly and understand modern trends of the NFL, what you need to do to take that step forward where come January, you know, this is the general manager I want. There's some good options out there. Uh, guys like Will McClay of Dallas, uh, uh, Kirchner in Seattle, and Lewis Riddick has been mentioned quite a bit as an option for the Bears. I think he'd be terrific. Who is your next general manager? Who is your next head coach? Uh, I don't know who it is. I, I don't know exactly what particular organizational model you want to follow, but I think George McCaskey can be very well guided by some of these people, some of these prestigious alumni that he can bring in. Our final few moments with Chris Emma, who covers the Bears for 670thescore.com. I saw a headline today that said Bears awarded Spain, UK as international <laughs> home market areas. What in the world does that mean? I tell you what, I was very confused when I saw that one pop in my inbox. But look, I, it's a cool initiative from the NFL. And you've done these games overseas, Zach, where, you know, the Bears go to London and like two years ago, for example, I know you weren't at that one, but uh, you know, you got fans for the Bears Raiders games and Christian McCaffrey jerseys and Tom Brady and 
Uh, you name it, anybody but a Bears jersey or a Raiders jersey. I like the NFL's initiative to try to build these fan bases and, and these organizations up in different countries, in different regions overseas. And uh, I look at maybe next time the Bears play in London, because they are UK territory now, you're going to see more Bears jerseys. And you're going to have more fans Overseas who are particularly rooting for the Bears more than their favorite player. Uh, and the overall goal, of course, is to grow the game uh, from a youth perspective. And the Bears, as part of their initiative, and Spain and the United Kingdom, as you mentioned, uh, they're launching Spanish language social media platforms, which they're going to try to reach a different audience with. And in particular, growing the game with youth football in those two countries. So I think it's a terrific idea. Chris, always appreciate the time. Thank you so much. Zach, take care, buddy. Chris Emma, who covers the Bears for 670thescore.com, spending some time with us. Yeah, I was with the Bears as the sideline reporter in 2011 when they made the trip to Wembley Stadium. They beat the Buccaneers, and all throughout warm-ups, there was not a more popular player at Wembley than Robbie Gold. You know, here, when he was with the Bears, he was known as the mayor because he, he's a very popular guy. And there he was the ambassador, basically bringing American football to Europe. And, and I, I just thought it was funny because the way it works in these international games in London, you have fans in the UK who... It, just like the NFL, but they may have different teams that they like. So you had a potpourri of different uniforms in the stands, you know, a lot of Dolphins jerseys, a lot of Bucks jerseys, Raiders, Bears, Packers, it didn't matter. If, if you love the NFL, you're going to go to this game even if your team isn't playing. And it was just pretty cool to see what excited the crowd in Europe. I'm sure it's changed a little bit because uh, they – understand the game a lot more now than they did a decade ago but it, it really was funny to see the kicking game get so much respect because obviously soccer is so popular in Europe but the Bears have always been at the forefront uh, of these international games really since 1986 when the Bears beat the Cowboys 17-6 to in the first American Bowl at Wembley Stadium since then the Bears have played in London twice Twice more, I believe, the, the game in 2011 and a couple of years ago against the Raiders. And they have one of the largest NFL fan bases in the UK. And it, it, it's cool to get the, the Spain market involved as well, especially with all the different Spanish language social media accounts that you have around the National Football League. Let's take a break. When we come back, I'll run through some of my thoughts from what we've heard today from all our guests in terms of what the Bears need to do going forward as they head into the offseason. 312-644-6767. Zach Zaidman with you until 9 o'clock on Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. Chicago Sports Station. Zach Zaidman with you, taking you all the way up to 9 o'clock here. Sports Radio 670, the score. You know, uh, the big topic of conversation, and it's it's already underway, it really started before Thanksgiving, and it's going to continue for the rest of the Bears' regular season and take us through the offseason. they got to make major changes, right? they gotta, they got to flip this thing around. When I say major changes, here's what I mean. I think we've seen enough of this football regime to know that you need new blood in there to 
to fix it to get in the direction that you want to go. And the record speaks for itself. This is not a, a personal attack. I just think that you know you have a body of work here in which you've made the playoffs twice but had just one winning season during Ryan Pace's tenure. And he's been allowed to, to pick two quarterbacks high in the draft. He has signed or traded for three major quarterbacks that haven't worked out the way you would have thought, whether it was Mike Lennon or Nick Foles, Andy Dalton. You know, Mitchell Trubisky obviously didn't work out the way the Bears wanted. And I just think you need to ask yourself the question I've been asking myself. If you had Mac Jones and you put him on the Bears, right? Mac Jones has been fantastic for the Patriots this year. He's 9-4. and four. If you took him and you put him on the Bears, would the Bears be 9-4? and four? Or would they be kind of what they are right now? Maybe even worse. And I think we know that the second part is probably true. If you took Justin Fields and you put him in New England, do you believe the Patriots would be 4-9 and nine like the Bears are? And I think the answer is no. And the argument that you'll hear is, well, I mean, the Bears don't have the kind of talent that the Patriots do. And that's true. They also don't have the coaching that the Patriots do. And I think it's really important to, to fix that part of it. To make sure that you have a staff that you believe maximizes the talent that you have on your team. I don't know that that's happening. But I also know that the way the Bears are constructed is flawed as well. And ultimately, that's on the general manager. And... The biggest problem the Bears have had is if you start putting a pie chart together of all the moves that Ryan Pace has made, there's some good ones, but those good ones generally follow bad ones. So you're, you're going in the same direction constantly, you know, because Kevin White and Leonard Floyd and Mitch Trubisky didn't work out. Well, now you're spending big money in draft capital to bring in Khalil Mack and Robert Quinn. And then you go out and you sign Andy Dalton and you make the trade and the big money that Nick Foles got. See, those are problems. And then you give up the draft capital to get Justin Fields. And I know the old thing is, well, if you get the quarterback right, nothing else matters, right? But the Bears may have the right quarterback. And that's not enough to win because the structural foundation of the team is flawed. And that's where you need new blood. Now, do you need a former player as a point man? No, I don't think you need a, a former player as the point man of football operations. But I do think you need a little bit of a split from business operations and football operations. No different than what the Cubs have, where Crane Kenny is the business guy and then Jed Hoyer, preceded by Theo Epstein, the baseball guy. I'd like to see the, the Bears use that model. And it doesn't have to be a former player or agent like Trace Armstrong in charge. It could be, I'll throw a name out there that hasn't been talked about. You know, Jim Phillips, who's the commissioner of the ACC, the former athletic director at Northwestern. Someone like that, someone that, that understands how to hire the right people 
because he's been in that position before to help the team ascend from a football standpoint. That's what I'd like to see happen this offseason. And that's where George McCaskey and Ted Phillips have to sit down with the right people. And that's meeting with consultants, talking to people around the NFL that can help you move in that direction. Because the Bears have gone to successful organizations to hire the people they have in place right now in Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. You know, New Orleans has been successful. So has Kansas City. They just hired the wrong people. You don't want to make that same mistake again this offseason. Those are my thoughts. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. I want to thank Brian Callahan, our executive producer, for helping us blast through the speakers of your radio. I'm Zach Saban. Thanks for listening. We'll catch you again real soon on Chicago Sports Radio 670 to score.